Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 18 of the Speaking Club podcast. It's been a big week for me. My daughter turned 17 on Monday. Oh, where did that time go? Her dad and I bought her some driving lessons for her birthday and I wanted to give her a bit of advice so she didn't look silly on the first one. So I told her is the traffic cameras don't connect to social media. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show. It's still comedy month here on The Speaking Club and today I'm joined by executive coach, speaker, clown and improviser, Emma Stroud. Although she's done a stint in the 9 to 5 world, I think it's in sales, I believe, and she's co-director of her company Truthworks, her background is definitely more comedy than corporate. And we had a good old natter and there's some great nuggets here around using humour in your speaking and in business. And you'll find out why having the mindset of a clown can make you a great MC. Also how embedding improv skills in the culture of your company can create big profits and lots more. So... Without further ado, I give you Emma Stroud. Hello and welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, Emma Stroud. Thank you very much for being here. Hello. Hello. Now, I'm going to ask you a difficult question, or maybe it's an easy question. Who knows? In one sentence, can you sum up what you do? In one sentence, I help people live and find their truth by doing it myself Ooh, that's plenty to dig into there so um what do you mean by their truth first of all um, i think for me it's about helping people really understand what are their stories and so where do their values really come from and as a result of that for me it's it's about giving people permission to take some time to really look at how they've got where they're at and I think when you really do that, then by the very nature, you can't help but be who you are. You have to be kind of truthfully yourself. And I think we can all tell when people are living and walking their passion, their purpose, authenticity, whatever word you want to use. And for me, it's, it's, it's the gift of helping other people understand that they're at their most powerful when they're living their truth and speaking. So how did you get where you are today? It's a question I ask myself on a regular basis, to be honest. <laughs> it's like, oh, how did I get here? Um, it's, it's, as I think with most uh, entrepreneurs and performers, uh, it's, it's been a completely unplanned and what could, if you sort of looked at it on paper, look very sort of diverse. But actually, I think I've always been working towards this place that I'm in as I find myself at the end of 2017. Um, so I'm a trained performer, I'm a trained clown, I'm a trained improviser, trained actor, um, theatre director. Uh, but I've also always been in business as well because I find business and people in business fascinating. And I've sort of done both of those journeys at the same time and for, for quite a few years, a lot of time and energy just looking at my business side. Um, and as a result, things didn't go exactly the plan, they weren't going because I wasn't 
wasn't nourishing my own truth, which is about playing and performing as well. Probably in the last 18 months, I sort of took a long, hard look at where I was at and went, what is it that's my truth? What is it that makes my heart sing? And actually what makes my heart sing is, yeah, helping people with their own stories, working with a few people in that world, but also making sure that I've created enough space in my life so that I'm performing, I'm creating and doing all of that and then speaking and hosting and doing the other side. So it's, it's been, it's taken 15 years to get to where I'm at, but I can genuinely say I'm really looking forward to 2018. <laughs> it's been an interesting year. So a couple of yeah. things I wanted to follow up with there. So uh, first of all, fascinating. That's an interesting word to use about the business. What, what do you mean by you find them fascinating? Because I think what, people in business spend a lot of their time obviously doing is they they become experts in the what that they do uh so if i made this sort of real there's a there's a a guy that we work with he's a he's an expert engineer and he really developed obviously his skills and you know and he became an md and and his engineering skills was what he'd spent all of his life doing so as a result he never kind of looked at the other part of him i.e how is he going to lead what are the stories he's going to tell what how is he going to engage with people at a different level? And so for me, just starting to unpick someone who comes from, you know, in essence, probably a polar opposite to the way that I think and giving him that permission to kind of come into that side of the world. It's genuinely fascinating because he was like, but what's the process? How will this work? And I'm like, I don't know, because you're a human being, which, you know, is, is, is terrifying for someone like that. But then actually, because he's trust me and he trusts um, my business partner, it's actually really liberating. So the whole process, because I'm, I love human beings and we all have a fascinating story, but in business we all get, I don't know, I think we can get caught up in that world of I'm, I'm an accountant, so this is, how I, this is how I must behave, or I'm in property, or whatever it might be. And actually what I'm really interested in is who are you? I don't really care what people's job titles are and you know, what they do and, and status in that way doesn't really sort of affect me. And I think that's why I can meet people and then go, oh, you do that, do you? <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm more interested about who they are and the essence of who they are. So, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, lots of people tie up who they are with what they do. And I don't buy into that. And I think sometimes mm. you're exactly right. It can be a straitjacket, which stops us expressing ourselves fully. And I mean, we're going to talk about improv in a little bit. But one of the things that I found fascinating was a, there's a local group here and, and pretty much it's split 50-50 between IT, IT people and engineers and creators. <laughs> They're quite enlightened, I think, sort of, you know, technical people that recognize they need an outlet for that mm. side of things. And is that the, the most of your clients is that or do you, do you work with creatives as well? Do you think that there's self-expressed enough anyway? No, I, th- I think it's um, I work with people across the board. And I think what's, what's fascinating is I, I think we can have a tendency of, of even if we're a creative, um, I think society likes us, likes to be able to put us into a box. So therefore, we feel compelled, I think, up until a point to put ourselves into a box. I'm a creative. No, I'm an engineer. No, I'm an accountant. And actually, I, I'm, I'm more interested in the sort of the, like you're saying, the slightly bigger picture of like, we're all human beings. And, you know, when, when we were born, nobody, you know, when we're kids, we don't go, I'm good at X or I'm good at Y. We just explore. Now there'll be things that we're more interested in, which is fine. But it's at what point do we stop giving ourselves permission to be a full human being? 
doing all the different things that make our heart sing as opposed to just uh, caught by that yeah by that work identity um, I had a conversation with um, an old client of mine and she's just about to move roles and she was just talking about her next career step where she was going to go and I just I had to stop her and I was like but what about you what do you want for your life and she went oh don't ask the big question then Em and I said because what will happen is like unless you actually just stop and give yourself permission to go what's the kind of life I want to be living where do I want to be traveling to how much time do I want with my family unless you come from that place of uh dare I say that place of choice you're always going to be driven by just purely your career choice the other thing that's quite interesting you mentioned about you know when we're a kid we explore more mm. and the other thing we do as kids is laugh loads more i mean it's i think i think this the stat is something like children laugh about 400 times a day and then as a working adult it's probably down to about 15 times a day which is which is shocking and i know that you um I mean, this is <laughs> comedy month on the on the podcast and you do a lot with comedy mm. do you want to tell me a bit about your background and how you got into comedy and what you do today i'm really curious to sort of find out how you moved into that direction yeah, I mean, I, I when I did a, my own exercise, because I do practice what I preach, so I've got a couple of coaches that I work with, and I've worked with lots of different people. And I remember about eight, nine years ago, uh, I did that sort of, what are your values? And put them in an order. And I was like, oh, and my first one, and I just couldn't help it, was fun. Because that is, it's part of my DNA, and that laughing is really important. Um, I, was, I studied theatre at university, and then while I was there, I, I spent a summer in Italy training in uh, Commedia dell'arte. So I, oh. I am a trained clown. Um, and it all, but my, my love of comedy and my understanding of that sort of timing actually was my, my first ever theatre show, uh, which I sort of fell into accidentally because I'd injured myself. Um, so I couldn't play sport. Um, I got the lead comic role. And so there I was standing up in front of an audience of 300 people, age 16, going, this is a lot better, this stand innovation, than going outside, playing lacrosse on a cold day with two people watching me. And I was like, this is good. I like this. Um, and then going to uni and, you know, because of who I am, I think, I think comedy is sort of been in my genes, but I was lucky. I started exploring impro at sort of 16, 17, 18, and I just went, this makes sense to me. And I think like quite a lot of clowns, you know, I, I used comedy to kind of get through my school, you know. So when I discovered if I'm funny, I can get away with a lot more. Suddenly that became a really important skill for Emma to develop to slightly to deflect things as well. Um, I think most people that are in comedy uh, that I know, they're all, they're, they sort of they fall into it for lots of different reasons. But what's underneath it is quite often actually this is a way of survival and then you sort of make it into a into a career and then it becomes a thing of joy um, and then I've you know and then from there I've just you know I went to drama school always got the comic parts I think it's something to do with my face they still won't cast me as Juliet I'm still going to reconcile that and also you know because I trained in musical theatre and I can't dance so that was quite awkward um, when doing musical theatre so strangely enough having the comic role meant that when I really couldn't dance it was like it's okay she's the comedy one um, and then I think just naturally, you know, when I was cast by other people um, and when I, you know, sort of when I formed my own theatre company, comedy just always made sense to me. And, and to go back to your original thing, I think as adults, we 
the permission to laugh and the permission to play is something that I'm really passionate about. And, you know, there, there's lots of studies about the benefits of laughing and, and humour, but also I do really deep work with people. And I know for me and my truth that is about using humour. And actually by using humour, I know that I can make people laugh and then I can take them somewhere very seriously. And because they've been laughing, they're far more open than if I stood there trying to tell them a point. Get people laughing, you're more open, you've got all of those good things going around your bloodstream. You're far more willing to then be challenged about perhaps the way that you're thinking, the way that you're behaving, what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I sort of, I took the mantle two, two years ago um, and I was like, right, it's time, Emma, do your one woman show, come on. So I did my first one woman show called um, Coming Out My Box. And uh, it was sort of a theatre comedy show. It wasn't a pure stand-up show. Um, and this was, it was a very needed, I needed to write this show. It was about all the different boxes that people had put me in and I'd put myself in. Um, and, it, you know, I was lucky I won an award. Yay! I'm currently writing my new one, which is pure stand-up. Um, and I read it to a friend of mine, who's a half critic, made her laugh. So ho hopefully it might be quite funny. So, yeah, comedy is in my DNA and, and doing improvising. You know, I've had four or five different impro troops and it's, uh, it's playing in that way. And then when you see an audience, like I did a couple of nights ago, as one of them said to me, the audience came up to me, she just went, watching you have so much freedom of expression just made me realize how little i do yeah and you know and one of the aims of our show is just to give people a permission to have an hour where they don't think about anything and it's just fun and silly because fun and silly is actually really needed you know it's it's the same as when i play with my five-year-old boy he doesn't think about um we're being silly you know when we're doing various different things with cars and playing stuff it's just play but yeah. through play, we can learn loads as well. But actually, sometimes it's just play for play's sake. Yeah, no, it's, it is hard to play. It's hard. Everything is so serious. You know, people are so driven these days that it's, mm. it's hard. And to be honest, we're conditioned as we grow up. You know, we, our parents and society conditions us to be serious. You know, go and do your homework before you play. You know, play always mm. comes last. Mm. And, you know, that, that is something that, that we grow out of because we're, we're told to grow out of it in some ways. We talked about being, you know, a trained clown. Now I've only done two workshops on clowning and I love opening yourself up to being silly. But the other thing that's really, I found really important and enlightening about the clowning is the connection with the audience, which mm. is much closer than in stand-up comedy, mm. you know, and they talk about, you know, I, one of the big things that stuck me with casting the net, which, mm. um, which I think is a great thing that speakers can use can you sort of elaborate a little bit more about that side of things because I think that was an interesting thing I learned yeah I think with with clowning and and I have to share I'm very excited because in in January um in the start of January I'm I'm going off and I'm doing a two-week clowning course oh. with one of the top clowns in the world I had to write a cv I haven't written a cv for 15 years <laughs> that, that was more stressful than anything I'll do on the course um because again I, I want to explore more of that and I think one of my key things from clowning that I really, really think serves me when I'm emceeing or speaking or helping other speakers is that as a clown, you should always be the lowest status in the room. Yeah. So your audience knows more than you do. And this is a really weird mindset for speakers because you're like, well, I'm going there to speak and I'm the person that's the expert in X, Y or Z. 
and actually from a speaking perspective what clowning gives me is that it always gives me permission to be really grounded and the fact that I'm not coming from a place of high status I struggle sometimes with speakers that come on and uh, even if they are truly world-renowned experts, if they're coming on at such a high status, I find them hard to relate to. Yeah. Because the way that they're, they're the way that they're sharing their information is like, I know I'm the leading light in X. And for me, those people that are truly world-class speakers are those that, yeah, they've got their knowledge, they are the leading lights, but they come from that place of humility. And they come from that place of, yeah, I, I might be the expert in this, but you know what? you'll be an expert in loads of other things and even with my expertise there will probably be something that you could challenge me on or you could question me on because we're all meeting it together and I think especially you know for for those people you know and those listeners that MC you know my job as an MC and I truly believe this is why I get quite a lot of bookings is I am not there to be memorable I am not there to be the focus I am merely there to make sure the audience has the most spectacular time the speakers feel extraordinary and everybody just has that sense of this has been a brilliant event and then when people go back in their head why was it good I, that's when I want them to remember actually Emma was quite good oh yeah she did that bit and she lifted us after that was a really serious talk or actually well that was a really light talk and she made us really reflect that to me yeah and I honestly can say that the reason that I can do that and do it effectively is because of the clowning and the comparing that I've done in the world of comedy because mm. you have to come at it from a different perspective but again audiences are people and this is that weird status that we give I'm a business audience I'm a room full of accountants so yeah. you must behave like this I'm like no you're human beings and if you actually enjoy it you're far more likely to actually remember what people have said which is surely the whole point of anybody speaking I think those are really good points. It really, the speakers are the star and you're the oil in the machine that keeps things mm. moving and keeps things smooth. I think exactly like you said. And then, so improv then, tell me more about improv. So um, I think comedians, I've said this before, comedians sometimes struggle with improv because mm. they, they, they feel like they've got to go for the gag, which is not, you know, it's not a solo thing. It's an ensemble thing, improv. And it's about sharing and building rather than going for the short, short gag. what makes you love it so much I mean you said it's about the freedom of expression but what else do do you love about improv um there's a couple of things firstly um I've actually done my own one woman improv show so just putting it out there you can do it uh it 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 was admittedly it was only a 20 minute show because that's about all my brain could handle but actually one of the things that um I like to do is uh I I create and I improvise songs off the top of my head Uh it's kind of a weird thing to do um And the reason that I wanted to do that was because I want to see what's possible if I'm not having the offers from my other players. I wanted to see, could I get enough from an audience and yeah, have a few different backing tracks to actually create something of substance. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's terrifying. Doing it by myself was genuinely one of the most scary things I think I've ever done because you don't have those offers. And I think with improv, the reason that I love it so much is it's all about, the whole idea of of accepting offers and being so fully present that nothing is going on in your head and you just trust that the right things can come out. And this is something that I don't know whether it's partly in my DNA and partly just it is the way that I am. I am I can't I am naturally a fully present human being. I, I it's just part of Emma. 
And actually, when I, when I watch really good actors really struggle with improvising or really uh, good stand-up struggle, it's because they, they're thinking too much. They're too much in their head. For me, the, one of the things that I love is when you see people giving themselves permission to stop being there and just trust. And when you're, and I'm lucky enough, I've, I've worked with a couple of people for years. And when you have so much trust, just like you would in a team in business, you know, if you've been working together, you've seen your management team for a long time, there's trust. And I know that I've rocked up and there's been a certain moment and I've walked on stage and literally have nothing, but I know they will help me and they will give me offers. So again, it's that, it's that beautiful thing about permission to be present, really genuinely listening. And also it's not about who could be funniest. And I, and I learned that when I was auditioning for drama school, actually, um, and I uh, went into a very well-known drama school, we won't name it. And uh, I went in and I was with this guy. And we were doing this scene in the zoo. And it's amazing, I still remember this. Because um, it's years ago, because I'm actually 94. And he started doing this whole scene. And it was about a zoo. And then, and then we created a parrot on my head. Um, because obviously we could do an impro. And then this guy literally went, and then the parrot died. <laughs> and literally I had nowhere to go. And the three guys that were um, auditioning us, see if we've got a place, they just went, well, that's how not to do improv because you're trying to make yourself look funny. And Emma's just keep giving you offer and offer and offers. And they went, thank you very much. We're not going to offer you a place to the guy and threw him out. Because wow. that's how brutal drama school is. And I just stood there going, it's just a parrot dying. It wasn't real. It wasn't made up. Um, but it really, that, I think the reason I still remember that so clearly was actually, it really confirmed to me. Now, I've, I've auditioned and seen hundreds of improvisers and, and worked with lots of people in business and improvising. And actually, it's amazing to me, the people that you would naturally think would be very good at it, who are quite witty, who come up with things, are generally not so good at it because, again, they're in their head. Whereas those, probably like yourself, that during those warm-up games, give yourself that permission, right? Okay, let go of my barriers. I don't mind that I'm being an apricot. I'm doing it. I'm playing this super song. Because actually then you're fully present and you're not trying to be the funniest person. Um, improv in terms of the comedy side, anyway, um, it doesn't work if you try and be funny. And then obviously there's the long-form improv where you can create... Um, I did a, a run of shows, actually where I met my business partner 15 years ago. And we did a run of um, a sort of three week run in London and we had four different scenarios. So there were eight actors and four scenarios and we had sort of two weeks of rehearsal. And the scenarios were um, a group of flatmates that were going to be thrown out the house a nuclear, um, in a nuclear bunker. Um, and do we stay or do we go? Um, a terrorist attack, um, which has gone wrong. And then a self-help group, do they carry on? Now, the audience got to choose which scenario we would do and which order us actors would come in. And then from that, we would then create an hour-long play. So this was not about being funny. This was about genuinely building a narrative, building the arc, you know, start, beginning and end. And the biggest compliment that I got from this one guy, he just went, how did you learn all those scripts? And I was like, well, um, I don't think it would have been possible for us to learn those scripts because... There's eight of us and you've got to choose which order we came in times four. So eight times eight is already 64 scripts. Then you do that times four. And I said, my maths is not that good. And he went, yeah, so how did you learn all of them? And I was like, well, as I've just said, there was like, there's lots of, there's no physical way we could have learned over a thousand scripts. And he went, 
well, I think it's very impressive that you learned all of them. And by that point I went, yeah, you know what? You're right. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I think with, you know, with improv, it's, um, it's one of my, it's one of my passions. And I think giving other people permission to play and explore and just give themselves that window of wonder what will come out. I wonder what will happen. Um, is one of the things that I love talking about in business. It's one of the things I do talk about. Um, and then in order to carry on developing myself, that's why I've got my own show. Brilliant. Well, there's a couple of things I wanted just to, to pick up on and clarify there. So a lot of people maybe um, who are listening may not know about offers. Could you, what is mm. an offer? Well, it's, it's simplistically put, um, it's somebody, let's say we're creating a scene and it's somebody going, oh, look, here we are in this bar of Tokyo. And I can't believe that there's four dummies over there. That by its very nature is an offer, which then is the next play you can go, I know those four dummies that they have because you're building on it. And then in a business perspective, it's about perhaps getting rid of those little monkeys that we all have, you know, those terrible voices and going, come up with this solution to this problem this is what I think without any fear of what if it's wrong? What if the MD doesn't like it? What if everybody thinks I'm really silly and not saying it? So it is, it's about giving yourself first and foremost offers is about accepting your own offers from yourself. Um, and it's about in order to make that quite tangible, it's having a yes and attitude. So yes, and, and building on these offers um, rather than having a yes, but now I'm, I'm sure, and I'm every person that's listening to this will know of people that have a yes, but attitude. And I'm sure we all actually, when we're stressed can have a yes, but attitude. Yep. But I've got time for that. Yep. I've got four thousand emails to respond to. I'm very busy. And I'm a realist in business. We can't always accept all the offers, but what I do believe that we can do from a linguistic uh, perspective or an internal thought perspective is have more of a yes how attitude. So if somebody comes up, one of your team members or a colleague or a friend or a client comes up to you and goes, I've had this idea. And even if in your head that moment you go, we've already tried that, didn't work. Rather than going, yeah, but we've tried that, didn't work. Yes, how do you believe that could really manifest? It's a very different type of conversation. And, And the businesses that I work with that really do embrace this and the leaders that really embrace this as a, as a sort of mantra, as a way of being, lo and behold, they're accepting offers. So there's more solutions to more challenges. There's more creativity. There's more openness. Strangely enough, they make more money. Um, they keep their staff for longer because people feel like they're listened to and they're valued. And strangely enough, people are happier. Lo and behold, if you're happier, you're more productive. So, you know, if you're just hard business person listening to this, this stuff, although it might seem superfluous and simple, I have witnessed businesses completely turn around and make double the level of profit by adapting the mindset that we have in improvisation. The other thing that I heard and used in, so if you're a speaker as well with Q and A's, some some audience members might come up with a really challenging or completely wrong, you know, question, you know, question about what you've just talked about, and using mm. yes and doesn't put them down it's a great way of saying yes and there's another way that we can think about this rather Mm. than closing them down with a no so i think that that's that's great and and how so the in business there's great uh, great ones oh and also i think the other point that you were making about trust and improv is really important for speakers because there's quite a few speakers that rely on on learned memory 
really, mm. and and not trusting. You know, I had a guest on the other the other week that was talking about bringing your 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 best self, trusting that your best self is going to be there on stage as a speaker, and mm. and how reading and sort of just using memory to remember stuff just really affects your presentation. Is is that something you feel as well? Speakers can benefit from. Yeah, I think unless you are, I always. I always ask people that I'm working with in terms of speakers, you know, are you a trained actor? And uh, I've only ever, ever had one yes. And there's a reason why you go to drama school and learn the craft of learning a script. And acting at the heart of it is actually about the portrayal of truth. Yeah. And part of the skill and the craft of acting and really good acting is, is demonstrating that, uh, that you can take words off a page and then make them yours in a way that is powerful, engaging and authentic. And that's genuinely, you know, gen generally the difference between a professional actor and an amateur actor. I, I'm always really very wary and, and slightly hesitant about anybody whose who's model of success is, I'm going to learn this script. Because if you're going to learn this script, unless you have gone through said acting training, you by that very nature are then trying to remember what it is that you've written and you're going to end up speaking it in a very a very structured way and it's not going to sound like a dialogue because for me the speakers that are truly brilliant in whatever field are those that are talking to us they're not presenting they're talking to us and in order to do that in my humble experience the best ones are those that trust that yes, they've rehearsed and yes, they've practiced it out loud lots of times and they know their stories and they've got their core messages and they're clear on their intent, of course. I'm not saying that you can bypass any of that process by learning it. You have to put in those hours and hours and hours of work. But then you have to give yourself that permission that by the time you're standing up, and I completely agree with what your other guest um, said, you then have to trust that you can stand up and you can deliver the most amazing talk and be fully present. And you can't be fully present if you're going, what did they, what comes next on my next yeah, paragraph? Yeah. I, you just can't do it. And that's the moment when you lose audiences, you know, and for me, it's that, um, again, it's that permission piece to be brave and, and standing up and being you and going, this is what I know. And this is where I am right now. And as a result, people connect with you as a human being because they feel what it is that you're saying. And as Maya Angelou and lots of other people have said, you know, we, we might not remember what people say, but remember how they make us feel. It's really useful. And so, you know, I'm getting some sense of how you prepare, but uh, so two things. How do you prepare you know, for when you give keynotes or speak um and then the other thing is just a bit more about what you actually speak on is it around finding your truth and the sorts of things that you've been talking about today or other things that you speak on yeah i i speak i do speak a lot about improvising and and why that's important in business uh i talk about storytelling because i like telling stories and i think that's a again there's a there's a whole raft of thoughts and information out there about storytelling and I like doing that and yeah the truth piece um it all sort of has, has stemmed I, I, like you I recently did my TEDx's uh, my TEDx but one of my uh I quite often be you know I'm quite often asked in terms of pretty much similar question to what what you started off with, you know how have you ended up being here so one of the things that I like talking about is about being bold and uh, I, I sort of very much frame it in my be more banana uh, which which was what my TEDx was about and that like everything has sort of organically grown and 
when I'm putting together any talk, I always start with what's my intent. So what, what's my why? Is it to engage, have fun? Is it to inspire? Mm. Is it to educate? And then I always think, what do I want the audience to take away? You know, what's their call to action, you know, in an ideal world? Mm. And then truthfully, I then think, right, what are my three or my four core messages? So what are the main things I want to say? And I use a mind map because it works and it's really simple. And then I just jot down some stories that demonstrate my core messages because I truly believe that by using stories, well, stories are our truths. Nobody can question what I'm saying right now because this has been my truth and my story. Whereas if I recounted loads of facts, you could, in theory, challenge it. And so for me, by using stories, that's how we can be, uh, that's how we can share what we believe to be and things like that so that's how I do it and I, I have a um a little book that I take with me wherever I am and I just jot down different stories you know, I think it's important to be we all witness things whether it's on the tube whether it's traveling somewhere whether it's um like I had this very random experience at a gig uh last week where I walked into this bar and of this of this water mill that I was staying in and in the middle of nowhere um, the taxi driver went, all right, love, bye. And I was like, bye. Literally no idea where I was. And I walked into this bar and there was there was a group of about 15, 70 roughly year olds. And they were all wearing planes on their heads. <laughs> and there was one guy behind the bar. And it was one of those really surreal moments of like, what have I just walked into? It then transpired that the, the birthday man used to be a pilot in the Navy. So they'd all decided to put planes on their heads. Yeah. And it's one of these extraordinary moments of how you see things and stuff. Um, so I jot these stories down because my own reaction to it was quite interesting because unsurprisingly, I was going to see a room full of planes on heads. <laughs> <laughs> so stories are important. And um that's why for me when I'm putting together any talk um or and I think this is as important you know I, I've I've been lucky enough to talk about improvising for sort of five six years now and it's really important that I'm always changing my stories because it keeps it interesting to me you know and it's therefore it's different and there's a there's there's always something shifting and evolving just as my skill set your stories need to evolve too so that things don't get stale it's a shame there's some comedians that trot out the same material year, year after year. And that's just like, I don't know how you can do that, but uh, mm. it's, it's, that's a really good point. And I think um, the other point that you were talking about, you know, in the stories, um, a brilliant, I completely agree, a massive advocate about stories. And how do you introduce humor into your talks? Because I'm assuming that you're funny. I haven't seen you uh, present yet. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing some improv from you and, and at some point seeing you speak, but how do you, you know, because you have to be careful using humor. This is, you know, this is what I teach my clients. There's a lot of emotional intelligence in using humor and using it in the right place. How do you use humor in your talks? Um, for me, using, getting people to use humor, um, again, has to come from their own truth. So for me, because my truth has been that I've trained as a clown, I've done improvising, I, I, can, I can trust that I have that ability of timing because I have spent hours and days of my life on stage, um, quite often with it just not being funny and it going desperately wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it's from those moments, you know, like when you do an impro show, if you get 
if you get 80% of an impro show that's gone really well with laughter, you have done extraordinarily well, you know, and, and also you could have the best, you know, I, I had a, a really good strong set and went and did it in an audience where, let's just put it this way, my humour and me talking about being a gay woman that has a child, um, running a business, and all of those connotations, oh, and the fact that, you know, I used to be a sex machine hetero, going and talking about that, the room of uh, white South Africans who are all 45 and 50, didn't work. And that was a very key learning point. The three organisers who were British, um, they loved it, but that, my humour didn't land on them. And it was one of the most useful gigs I've ever had because they just stared at me blankly. Yeah. And it just wasn't. And culturally, I did not fit with them. They did not fit with me. But actually, by doing that, I learned so much more than I ever could have done. Um, and that's the thing. It will sometimes go wrong. But you've got to just trust it, you know. Yeah, I think, I think you're right about humour being used in a truthful way. I mean, I, I do believe, and I would because I teach it, but I, I've seen some business people do a stand-up comedy course. And, and there are tools and techniques that you can use to, to be funny but you do have to use it in the right way, in a way that works for you. And it's just also, it's about, it's also about having the, the courage to go and explore. You know, I, of course, you know, as you rightly say, there are tips, there are tools, there are techniques that you can use. But I think just by just going and exploring the world of stand-up and going and exploring the world of improv and going and exploring the world of humour and what is it that makes you laugh, you know, that's the reason why there are, so many different comedians because yeah. we all find different things and different people funny and that's great but you've got to understand for yourself and I think especially those very um very straight very serious business folk <laughs> you know it's about giving again it's the permission word it's about giving yourself that permission to go and well what is it that makes me laugh because if you don't know that how could you possibly think about using more humor in your world you know, and that within itself is a is opening a door. Going, I'm being brave because I want to find out this part of me. Yeah. And I think if you've trained as a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, and um, that that exploration into that part of you is not where you would naturally go. But what I think we would both agree on is like just give yourself permission. Even if you don't end up using, you will become a more rounded human being. And also, people are fascinated by people that do comedy. They're like, oh, you do comedy suddenly you could be like, I'm normally a lawyer, but I've just learned comedy. Oh, who cares about the law? I care about the comedy, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think that's, exact, that's exactly right. So um, how did you get your first speaking gig? Yeah, you wrote that question and I went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> literally, I looked at it. I looked at it when, you know, you're in a very, very, very good forward planning sending me this. And I was like, how did I get my first speaking gig? And I literally, I was racking my brains. And then, and then I was like, I think it honestly was somebody at one of the very first networking events that I went to as a, you know, it was my first business was a, was a theatre company. And I then went to a networking group. And I, I think because I could speak, because I'm an actor and I can speak proper, uh, the woman, and this is honestly, this is the only thing I can think of, uh, this lovely lady, she went, oh, I'd love you to talk. And I went, brilliant, about what? And she went, about business. And I went, great. <laughs> I don't really know, I'm running a theatre company, but I'll try. And then she said, oh, but could you tell us about what it's like being an actor in business? And I suddenly went, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> 
that I could. And I think that was my first ever speaking gig. And I think it was um, at least six minutes long. No. So I feel <laughs> I like I can talk length. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a tough one. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to have six minutes here. Six minutes material. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that was my first gig. But honestly, it's all sort of blurred. Wicked. Oh, and so do you, I don't know if you subscribe to this or not. So I was going to ask you, you know, now you, you, you're obviously doing well as a speaker, as an MC. Mm. Do, you, do you have to market yourself or is it kind of you do a good job and then you get more gigs and referrals? How does it work for you these days? Um, I can honestly say uh, this year I've done no marketing whatsoever <laughs> of myself. Excellent. And I've had the most successful year and done the most gigs that I've ever done. Now, that's lovely. And it's a really privileged, you know, fortunately, people see me and then they go, oh, would you come speak at my conference? Would you go and MC? Which is, remember, this, this hasn't happened overnight. I have been doing this, uh, the speaking, the MC, and I've really been doing properly for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So it really isn't like, oh, I'm an overnight success. It's like, no, 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 it's taken a long time. Uh, but next year, because I think, you, you kind of have to make a choice and actually what I'm and I as I help my clients do is going actually what is it where is it what are the metrics what are the type of things that I want to do because I could probably continue at the level that I'm at and and earn good money and be pretty successful but actually I'm at a place where it's about constant involvement and um, one of my things is about uh, doing more abroad gigs because I think there's more space you know um, and I think us Brits need to go out a little bit more abroad and so next year and again this all comes from the fact that I've been investing in myself so I've got a great coach and so next year I'm I'm planning on actually doing some marketing I'm actually going to build my own emmastroud.com website I've just bought that so that's quite exciting um and actually sort of give it a little bit more space because to go back to what I was saying earlier you know I'd spent a lot of time running businesses and having people work for me and not actually having the time to really invest in me as a speaker and as an MC as a business because I was running a business that needed far more attention whereas I'm now in a place where um, I can actually give it some time and some effort so yeah I'm, I'm very lucky and I'm very aware I'm lucky but I'm lucky because I put in bucket loads of hard graft so it doesn't just magically appear you know somebody said to me they were like oh but you get loads of gigs and you earn like thousands of pounds and I'm like hmm, yeah because I've spent a long time doing you know I spent a good few years just doing free gigs building up my repertoire building up my expertise so that in a business context I was seen that I that I'm adding value and that there's merit and I'm not just a comic or an improviser um, and that's taken time and and also that you're a safe pair of hands with that experience yeah. in, yeah. in your uh, back pocket yeah that's smashing now I've got some standard questions that I want to move on to but before we do any sort of last things that we haven't covered off so any tips uh, for using improv or comedy or any just general speaking tips for people um, that you think oh, I must get that in before before we move on this is just for that moment just before people go on stage and I think it's a moment where you can see some people do this really well and other people do it less quite often as speakers we're ending you know if you're at a conference you're ended up sitting on a table with the other speakers or you're in the front row because it's reserved 
And what we end up doing is we all end up having really nice chats with everybody because you might know each other from the circuit. And if you don't know each other, you're like curious, you want to find out who they are. And actually what I don't think we're all very good at is about taking ourselves away from every other human being and giving ourselves a minute ground and become present. Now, the only way that I know how to do that is that good old thing, just taking a few breaths wobbling your face a bit are you rubbing your face to warm up your warm up your mouth because you're going to be talking and i'm seeing I, emma wobble her face here yeah i mean it's, it, it looks really attractive <laughs> just wobble your face you know do all of that and you know and a couple of tongue twisters you know there's lots on the internet um just do a couple of things that takes you away so that you can become present rather than and there's your mc introducing you and you've just been chatting away to everybody else and you get up on stage that just by doing that gives you that permission that for that first two minutes when your audience are making all their decisions about you, you've given yourself a moment to focus on you. So you are therefore far more likely to be the best version of you rather than taking the first couple of minutes to warm up. And I know lots of people that go, after the first two minutes, I'm fine. And I'm like, but what are you doing in the previous four minutes? So for me, that and that's the same when I'm doing an impro show, comedy show, emceeing, you will always see I just kind of disappear. You know, whether going by the side. I'm also very short, so that's quite easy. I can just sit underneath the table, and no one knows where I am. But you know, it's it's really important. Give yourself that permission. Take a couple of minutes where the rest of the world does not exist, so that you can be fully present and you can be your brilliant you when you're up on stage. A great piece of advice there. Really, really good. Oh, yes, I've heard that. I've heard that two minutes thing before. You exactly right. Brilliant. Okie dokie. Right now, first question. What is the best thing that speaking has done for you? What is the best thing that speaking has done for me? It has shown me that by being the best version of me, I can really help people shift what they think is possible. And actually by being a speaker and rocking up into places where you know, they're not used to seeing people like me or meeting me, like rooms full of doctors and lawyers and things like that. And actually what speaking has really done is it, it's demonstrated over a period of time that the more I give myself permission to be the best Emma and to be all of Emma, the more that helps other people be the best version of themselves. And without a shadow of a doubt, me and my speaking journey has cemented that. I kind of always knew it, but it's through speaking that I've actually really felt it. Fabulous. That's great. Good answer. Open stores to yourself mm. as well, to things that you yeah. didn't know about yourself. That's fabulous. Yeah. And what has been your worst? I say the worst thing, but I mean really what your, your worst gig. What's can you have you got one of those stories? I have to go back to my South African gig in <laughs> in, in, in the Southwest. So to give you a little bit more context, a friend of mine organized this Southwest um South African festival and she was like, Oh, they'll love you, um, come down, we'll do some comedy. And there was me, and then there was a guy um in his eighties who was this very well-known South African comic. And I genuinely stood there and I literally started, because this is all about my coming out of my box. So one of my boxes is sex machine hetero, except I'm gay. Yeah. So it's this whole bit about me giving tips to um, straight women and gay men of how to pull men. Because before I came out, I was very good at pulling men because I didn't really fancy them. So I could talk to any men. Yeah, give me a, an attractive woman. Yeah, give me an attractive woman and I'm useless. I'm like, oh, I can't speak to you. Um, but you, you sort of said this. And then I mentioned the fact that even, you know, as a gay woman, I am also a mother. And I'm not joking. Stony faces, 
basically almost, um, hate is a strong word, but it was quite close to that. And I stood there and I sort of got off stage and was like, wow. And then I watched the South African comic. So my stuff, a bit risque, his stuff, which was, let's just say, racist, yeah. and let's talk about women in a certain way. Oh, guns are good, especially if you're killing certain types of people. That, however, was hilarious. I know. So I sort of walked away from that gig going, yeah, they're not my audience, and I don't, they're not my audience, full stop. But it was the moment when I was there, and I realised that I had a 25-minute set, and no matter what I said they were not going to like me. Um, but it, yeah, that, that will always stand out as, as, as the worst gig. I think, I think probably by the sound of the things that did land, you should probably take it as a badge of honour that they didn't like you. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, it's like, thank goodness they didn't like me, because if that is what they found, you know, and it was, yeah, that was, a, that was definitely the worst gig. Right, and the last question. Now, I don't know if you've come across a book by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. The um, name rings a bell. I haven't read it. I think it's on my, I will read all these business books at one time. And I it's haven't. one of those. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that, the th it's, it doesn't matter because the thing that he talks about in his book was having this sort of mastermind group of people um, that he sort of imaginary people, but people that have existed or uh, that he can run ideas past. And the question I've got for you is, if you could have three people they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional. Um, who would you choose to be three mentors and why? First one is Ruby Wax. I think what she's done is extraordinary. So without that shadow of doubt, I'd, I'd like Ruby Wax in there. Uh, I also would, yeah, I'd also like Victoria Wood because yeah. I don't really say much because she's Victoria Wood yeah. and I think one of her great skills was she would observe people and make very accurate observations, but it always came from a place of kindness. And within myself, whenever I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I, kindness is one of my values and it just kind of comes out. And I, I would always like to learn more about how she created such amazing characters and stories and, and well, her whole remit. So I, I would have loved to have, I would have loved to have met her and uh, you know it's such a such a shame that she died so young because she was on my really would like to sort of thing meet um, and then probably the last one this is more because she just inspires me and she sort of inspired me ever since I was um, sort of 15 16 um, is Tori Amos oh interesting um, so Tori Amos um, lots of people know her from Cornflake Girl um, you know and but she's she's a artist of She's been going since the late 80s and um, her latest album, um, The Native Insider, is one of the most extraordinary piece of creativity I think I've ever heard. And the reason I think she has that bravery throughout her entire career of really speaking her truth and her art form might be music. Um, and, I, and I really admire that. Plus, she's also set up what's now one of the biggest uh, charities helping uh, victims of domestic abuse and sexual abuse and she set that up which I think lots of very successful people talk about 
lots of challenging things but I think there's a difference between talking and doing and she doesn't make a big song and dance about it at all I think it's only really if you really know what her work's about but you know that she does that so for me I'd, I'd love to just sit and just chat her and and yeah and again what I think she's great at um, is that she gives herself the permission to have space to create and that's something that in 2018 I've already blocked out time which I've never done before so just by doing that um, and it was sparked by reading an article and she was like you know how could you possibly um, expect there to be anything brilliant coming if you're not giving yourself the space to stop and you know not look at emails and do all of that and my creativity is part of my professional job so I think I have a, a duty of my own care to actually make sure that I prioritize that rather than reacting to emails brilliant advice excellent and so where can people find out more about you work with you I know you've got something coming up called the banana bunch yeah <laughs> makes, I'm, I'm very curious about this so I have a I have a, a comedy impro troupe and uh, we are called the banana bunch um, and we do a show called the bananas on the run it's basically we're on the run from everything that makes life miserable and rubbish um, and so we want to run towards lots of fun and jovality and silliness uh, and we've just got a residency at the museum of comedy um, which is the museumofcomedy.com, uh, which is just off the West End, so it's near Tottenham Court Road and Holborn. Um, that residency starts in February, um, and it's every last Thursday of the month from then on. So 22nd of February is the first one. Um, tickets are available now. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that's my comedy impro stuff. Uh, for those that are curious about my world of my work in terms of business, uh, then just look at my website, which is truth-works.co.uk. Works. And then um, I guess of all the social media channels, I'm probably most active on Facebook just because I'm not very good at social media and Facebook. I understand sort of. Uh, so I, I quite often do little sort of Facebook lives and update people on, on my on my weird and wonderful world. So, yeah, and just Emma Stroud that's my name so logically you'll find me <laughs> and just you know if you look for me for some reason at the moment my photo is me hiding behind a hanger I don't know why but I sort of thought it looked slightly arty Wait, so I was like hanger, not an aircraft hanger no not an aircraft <laughs> hanger because <laughs> we wouldn't see you probably that's good I can make all my profile pics all about hangers oh this is brilliant not only have I enjoyed this but I've now got an inspiration <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah facebook's the best place for to find out what i'm what i'm really up to um, yeah that's it excellent well i will make sure i put those links in the show notes as well but it just leaves me to say thank you so much for giving us your time today for me your time really appreciate it some fantastic tips and i shall look forward to uh, seeing you in the banana bunch at some point next year ah, thank you very much for having Take me thank you. another show bites the dust Great stuff from Emma. I'm going to look forward to seeing her in the Banana Bunch. And uh, next week, I'm going to be giving you some tips for using humour in your public speaking. So make sure you tune in or better still, subscribe. If you are getting value out of listening, then I'd like to invite you to do one of these three things. You could leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. I share a post about uh, the Speaking Club on social media or shout out I love the speaking club podcast in the coffee queue today there you go one of those three pick one
I'll tell you what, if anyone has the bottle to do the last one, film it and share it with me or uh, at Sarah Archer 15 on Twitter or same on Instagram or Sarah Archer on Facebook. That's it. Until next time, have a smashing week and don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Hey, if you're listening to the show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.